Retro Rebel Gamecast is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebels released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. Hello. Well, welcome back. It's still January. Still January. How are things? Look, things are ticking along. It's 2020, the year of the rat. And, uh, you know, things are pretty rodenty. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's you would think, or maybe just because the connotation of a rat uh, would be negative, but it is not. So, uh, yeah, things looking up, 2020, uh, could be, should be, let's just keep it positive, will be a good year. Um, Hopefully, but my year is the year of the ox, which is next year. So, you know, I'll get a second chance no matter what. <laughs> nice. So by your year, that's the year you were born? Yeah, that's how it works. I think I'm year of the snake. Mm. Yeah. Slytherin. <laughs> I've been fighting it my whole life. I just might as well embrace it, I guess. Embrace the slither. Yes. So what have you been playing? Well, uh, I loaded up. A new game that came out on Game Pass. Well, it's not a new game, but it's new to Game Pass, which is the Telltale Batman series, which I remember you said was pretty good. Um, so I've just loaded yeah. that up, and I'm going to be playing that today, hopefully. Nice. Uh, and there was a game that I tried this week, which was probably the weirdest game that I've played in a long time called After Party. Have you ever played this? I Yes, we've talked about it, and I love it. Really? Because I yeah. have a different opinion. And I'll tell you why I love it, but you tell me. I like to hear your opinion. I felt like it was trying a bit too hard to be sassy and whatever, and I found the dialogue to be grating and to become grating over time. Maybe because I'm turning into a grumpy old woman, but all these teenagers with their hipster whatever and the texting and the bubbles that pop up with the social media reactions and stuff, yeah. I just hated it. I hated it. I stopped playing it. It was an interesting concept. Like, yeah. you know, it's not spoilers, obviously, because it's like the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of the game. But, uh, you know, these two teenagers die at a house party and they're taken to hell and Satan is a relative hipster and they're sent down to processing and there's, you know, there's lunch breaks involved and it's general, you know, government bureaucracy bollocks and, you know, they, they meet a, tax, a, a hell-based taxi driver who takes them to hang out at a bar. Uh, well, and they've got a hell-based caseworker who's job it is is just to torment them like it's just to make them feel bad <laughs> yeah yeah and they're supposed to be tormented by their like specific fears and things like that but that great concept in my opinion is marred by the overall sassiness and i have an excellent comparison between the first 
few quest lines of this story and one where I feel the same concept was executed better, and that is in the Witcher expansion. There is a side quest where you get told that uh, one of the people you saved earlier in the game invested some money on your behalf and now you're probably rich and you just have to go to the bank to collect it. And the Witcher has to go from window to window while, where they tell him it's their lunch break and that he needs form whatever to fill out form blah blah and he goes along and it's really honestly you feel pained you feel pained <laughs> because this is real life <laughs> and, right yes and what a wonderful execution and not marred by any of the weird social media hipster stuff that just i can't relate to i can't so right. that's my opinion that's why i stopped playing it because it became a bit grating to me yeah see and i think that was to me that was the charm of it and and i and i think you, sir, spend too much time around children. I know, Well, that's the thing. It's like I, I see it, and as a someone who, you know, is constantly around, you know, 18 to 24-year-olds, it's basically as a, as a not just because I hang around them, but I am a teacher, a professor, and so I've got uh, students, and, and I'm constantly reminded of the impact social media has. And, and, and then having kids trying to kind of mitigate that influence and, and that desire and the investment into that is something that they use as a means of self-worth. Anyway, we could get into the philosophy of it, but the bottom line is I see it all the time. And so there was some charm in that, knowing that people are, are <laughs> they're expressing or experiencing the world and you can experience it sort of in real time, even though you're really only seeing the world through your phone, that prism through that social media uh, program or whatever. So it it was kind of there was kind of a bit of charm to it, I guess, in that. And and I um, I would laugh uh, because I would want to read. Like if I saw a bubble pop up and somebody was you know whatever the equivalent of Twitter is, I think is what they use on there. Um, they were. Uh, they'd post something and, and I would want to read what they're saying because it's it is happening on the screen. It's like something is something just happened and they are posting about it. And so, yeah, they're like you're, giving their own commentary on the thing. Yeah, that you're doing. it's commentary. That's stuff that's happening, like literally just around you. And so that kind of was, I don't know, clever is not maybe the right word, but it was entertaining to me. It was charming. I enjoyed reading that stuff. Now, again, it hasn't been so charming that it's made me want to go back and finish the game. Um there is a lot of the oxen free because it's made again. It's made by the same people that made oxen free, and so the I wouldn't say that the dialogue choices are completely ambiguous, but your the impact of what you say is not is not as clear maybe as I would like of my you know my dialogue selection choices. Um, yeah, the they're a bit you know, ambiguous. And I didn't like ambiguous. the underage drinking. Call me an old mom, but like, it was a bit... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in, in, in one of the first... Yeah, I don't know. This bit of a spoiler for this, and I, I if if you want to call it that at all, there's maybe an hour into the game, you maybe less, depending on how fast you read and move, and if you're not interrupted, like I am. But maybe an hour into the game or less, uh, you get to like the first bar... And there's a considerable amount of drinking in this game, uh, or implied drinking. And uh, so you can choose to do it or not do it, but you go to this bar, and it and it's like VIP. You get in because your taxi driver person has, has, a, has a way to get in. And so you get in, 
and somebody inside's having a party and everybody's excited about this party and they're talking uh, you know about this person you're like who is this person who's having the party we like to meet him the only way to get upstairs to their portion of the party and and achieve our goal is to meet this person and so you find out that they're a serial killer they were a serial killer. And, that's uh, the part where I was done. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. That's the part because yeah. it's a it's a kid as well. And yeah, he's like, young. Yikes. Yeah. yeah, but I I have a feeling though, and and I mostly because I played it a little bit farther than that. If you keep going, all of these things are kind of resolved. It's like if, your concerns, I think, would have been addressed, um, but. Yeah, you kind of you do have to keep going. So yeah, I gave yeah, up. If it lost your if it lost your attention, then yeah, I wouldn't expect you to yeah keep going. So anyway, I did I did not dislike it. I think I liked it for the reasons that you didn't like it, but not enough to keep going. You know, not enough to keep playing. So maybe I'll return to it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. So is that it? Is that uh, what else have you been playing? That's it. I just need to uh, get into Telltale's Batman now. I've loaded up the title screen. That's literally as far as I've gotten. I'm telling you, and I, I know we probably talked about it this time last year, maybe longer. Man. Because uh, there's two seasons of it, and so five chapters, two seasons, ten chapters of that game. Um, to me, it's one of the best uh reimaginings of Batman's origin, some of the origins of his uh, his villains. It just, you know, sometimes people take a little bit of uh, liberty with with those characters and, and uh, with any character, you know, that's kind of had a really uh, well-documented, and, and I mean, it's like nobody needs to know how Spider-Man became Spider-Man again. You know, everybody knows. But sometimes a an author or a these designers, these uh, writers take a little bit of liberty with those origins and they come up with something really interesting and I think this was a really it's a take on some of uh, the things that have already been written about Batman or other iterations of Batman's origin but it's a little different and uh, I think that you'll enjoy it I think it makes a lot of sense it get it gives Batman much more nuance and it makes him a more complicated character and that's something that you know, to be completely honest, I think most people would agree Batman is probably the least interesting thing about Batman comics. And I love Batman. Like, Batman's one of my favorite characters. But he's one of the least interesting things about Batman comics. His rogues gallery is what people are interested in. And they're interested to see in how... Because you know how Batman's going to respond. You just... You can never tell about, you know, the unpredictable nature of all of his villains. And so, anyway... Uh, I'm excited to hear kind of what you what you think. I I actually did not finish the second season. Imagine that, uh, but I've got it downloaded and I've only got two chapters to go. And yeah, I don't know if it's the complete both seasons or just the first one, but you know we'll find first out. one you gotta yeah first one you gotta uh, get through anyway. And and you uh, you know you are introduced to the Joker in that one. And the second season, there's a lot more interaction with the Joker. And I don't want to spoil any of that stuff, but um, I haven't finished the second one. Anyway, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we will uh, catch up. And next time, we'll, we'll see kind of where you are on that and um, what your impression is. But I have been playing... <laughs> well, of course, I've been playing uh, Disco Elysium, and and quickly on that is, again, it's it's a game. There's a lot of reading. It's it's not it's not hipster. 
And if you go on Steam and you and you there's a link that you can click to show some of the influences of Disco Elysium. It is it has a pedigree. I'm just saying that they did some research to, even if it's not the research that most people might be interested in. The research that they did f- to create that world and that game and the and the um, stories and characters that uh, they based that world around, it is rich. I mean, it truly is. And I, I don't want to. Sp- I, I don't know how much of this would be spoiling it anyway. But it's not set in on Earth necessarily. It's not. It's not set in our world per se. Uh, there are real world concepts, uh, you know, like government and, and, uh, <laughs> government and racism are big themes in it. Uh, socioeconomic status. We is have got to do that topic about politics and games. Honestly, my patience. Yeah. My patience. No, no, no. I, I mean, it, it, this would be right up there. I mean, communism is, is one of the main through lines in this whole game. And you play a cop, but you're not really a cop because cops aren't a thing anymore. You're basically a glorified security guard who has... You don't even really have arresting power. You are allowed to carry a gun. And you can... You do have a license to kill. You just have to explain it if you do kill someone. Uh, And... uh, And like I said in the beginning, you play a cop who you wake up on the floor with uh alcohol at least alcohol maybe other drugs alcohol induced amnesia you don't even know your name you're pretty sure you're a cop but you you don't know for sure maybe you're just wearing a cop's uniform and you piece together your identity and your past so anyway not time doesn't actually pass in real time but it's pretty slow in the game and as you advance the plot the time passes as well um i'm only on day two in this game. So like I've I've made it through you had I had this laundry list of things to do, some of which I completed on Monday, some of which I can't complete until later in the week. Um and so now I'm on Tuesday and you know there were events from Monday that were on my checklist that I you know that I'm going to have to complete today, but you know you you go through town and and things like minutia, stuff that you wouldn't really consider to be like interesting game mechanics. To me, these ended up being interesting. Like you had to, you had to find all of your clothes. So and initially, like I told you, I had a heart attack just trying to get my my necktie off of the fan, and I died, and the game was over before it started. Well, <laughs> then I had to restart, and I had to make a new character, roll a new character with different, different characteristics and stats. This time I tried. I didn't try to get the necktie like I did the last time I tried some other things, still couldn't get it. Went on about my day, put my, you know, my ensemble, my clothing together, which was fine, finally. But I found that the clothing that they start you out with, it has certain perks, but it also has certain, it has certain negative characteristics. And so, like, you're, you're basically wearing snakeskin shoes and these, and these, like, uh, disco style trousers it's terrible it's real terrible they're green snakeskin shoes well the problem is is that those snakeskin shoes they give you their plus stats in one area but they're negative in terms of like your ability to persuade people because you look like you know you're wearing green snakeskin shoes i mean you nobody's nobody's persuaded by that person you have to no no it's not you look like a sleazy cop and which i think you are or you can be. You can be as sleazy a cop as you as you want to be. 
Um, anyway, it's been interesting. It's it's still a really good game. It's a game that I can come back to because there's no there's no like intricate game mechanic that I'm going to miss or forget how to do, uh, kind of like Jedi Fallen Order, where I need to remember how to be a Jedi. <laughs> this is point and click, you know, so I can do this one. So I can come back to it. Uh, it's a lot of reading. There is a lot of voiceover acting as well, uh, but there is a lot of reading to it, um, and, and the reading is important so that you make the correct dialogue choices for your character, because if you, if you mess up, sometimes you may miss out on an entire either a conversation or you'll make the situation harder because you didn't select the dialogue choice that would have gotten you out of that situation or progress the story. And I've already done it once where I accidentally clicked on something and it jacked it up for the rest of the time. So I wasn't able to get through a particular uh, early uh, scenario that had I just made the correct selection, um, the one that I meant to, and I accidentally clicked the wrong one. Anywho, I, I've enjoyed it still. It's it's definitely not a game for everybody, but it is a game for people who like point-and-click adventure games um, and, and uh, you know, games that have something to say. And this one is one that has something to say. But the other game that I've been playing, uh, and, and I've, I've, had a, I've had to basically a come to Jesus with this game, <laughs> and that is uh, World of Warcraft. Oh wow! I was okay. I was thinking about it. I have played this game for a third of my life, and, and more than a third of my life, actually. I'm not quite that old, but I've been playing it for a third of my life, and and um, I had to think: Am I playing this game because of nostalgia? Am I playing this game just because I played it for so long? I'm just playing it, or do I still really enjoy it? Um, because Battle for Azeroth is a is an expansion, the most recent expansion. They've announced the new one that's going to come out later this year, uh, which we'll talk about later, but and, and on another episode. But I just I had to decide: is this am I is this worth the fourteen dollars a month that I've been paying almost since you know fifteen years? The dawn of time. Basically, yeah, and. Uh, and I couldn't answer it at first. And so I got back into the game. They had made some changes to some of the daily quests and stuff like that. And, and uh, at least for the time being, I, I decided, yes, uh, World of Warcraft is still fun. I still enjoy it. Um, there are some changes coming with the next expansion that I think will make playing some of my alts a little bit more interesting. But I found something that's really, I think, fascinating about... And I don't. I think it's the same across the board in all all like media all you know of our the media we consume movies tv games is that there's a very loud minority of people a very loud minority of people who are and and maybe it's because i consume a lot of youtube and i'm hearing the negative part of it and i and i hear about the forums and people talking about it because people you know it same as in politics too you've got the the very loud minority of people and what by minority obviously i'm saying the smallest portion of the pie you know not not referring to any particular race creed or other I, it's just a very small portion of the community is very very loud and they ruin it for me it's like they almost ruin me being able to consume any of the content because it's like i can't go anywhere and find a positive view of what you know what blizzard has done in the game everybody is down on the mechanics or down on the new features or talking about how they've you know ruined the game 
and and I still go in and play it for myself to get my own opinion on it. And and uh, but it's like, I, I, well, I like that. And why is it that I like this and nobody else is liking this? Yeah, but that's just marketing. Like that's one of the tenets of marketing that a happy person tells no one, but a miserable person tells ten people. <laughs> there it's you true. go. It's I mean, that that true. explains. If you were happy with something, it. why would you spend your time to go say you're happy about it? That's why right. there are only complaints on Twitter. People aren't on Twitter saying like, "Hey, McDonald's, I bloody love your Big Macs. I had another one today. It was great." You know, they're like, right. "There's a hair in my Big Mac." <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. And then, the, yeah, that's unfortunate. So but that's it why. is the way that it is. But the question you have to ask yourself is: that game worth? The two thousand seven hundred U.S. dollars you have spent to play it to date. Well, I'd say yes. No, I don't know that I could say yes if I thought about it in those terms. But having two thousand seven hundred dollars over fifteen years, you know. Still, though, but it's just one game. It's just one experience. That's true. That's true. If it had never changed, I'd say no. But the fact that I almost feel like I have gotten every two and a half, three years, you get a new game that lasts me a year to finish the content, you know? And, and so if that's a hundred dollars, you know, at the very least, that's $1,700 or so a month, uh, give or take ballpark, maybe a little more than that, uh, that since I, since I started in November of, of uh 04 and and uh the amount of time i i stayed in you know it's it's a lot cheaper than a than a bar tab uh, and i've enjoyed the majority of the time that i've played i'm one of the few people that have soloed the majority of the content like i don't I, i've been in a guild but only for like a two-year period was i really active in the guild where i could go raid with them all the time so it wasn't that it wasn't that wasn't the driving force although the multi, you know the mmo portion of it is great it's why i love star wars the old republic more really than warcraft until they kind of messed that up as well um because so much of that content could be experienced alone and so i could go in create my star wars character go kind of habit you know inhabit that world and then not necessarily have to work worry about finding someone. The problem was is towards the end of that game's life, which I know it's still active, but when people started dropping out, those worlds didn't feel lived in anymore. You know, it felt like you had this big place and nobody was there. Um, un, you know, now some places in Warcraft are that way, but they've tried to do a good job of keeping people, uh, you know, making them go to certain places like you still have to go to iron forge for certain things you still have to go to Stormwind, and so it's it still feels shatrath no nobody goes to shad anymore but uh <laughs> that's beside the point anyway i i still enjoy it uh at least i'm gonna give it this next i truly i mean and i and i mean this i'm gonna give it to this next expansion and if this next expansion doesn't make playing my alts more fun and and uh the progression system isn't isn't fun because this last one the story was great and that's really why i play it but if the if it's not if it's not engaging then i'm gonna do my best to quit i may need help and an intervention but we'll see Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> so I could stop paying $14 a month uh, for this game. But uh, it has been worth it to me. You know, when I don't have anything else to play, it's, it is an easy fallback, something I can get into uh, and, and, uh, it's comfortable and I enjoy the world. I can always go back and do old quests. And that's something that I've, that I actually really enjoy doing is going back and doing stuff I didn't complete before because I'm overpowered and it's easy, you know, but it's, it's like checking boxes and getting to see parts of the, of the game that I didn't get to see before. So we'll see, but those are the two games I've been playing and, and, uh, you know, I guess it remains to be seen if I keep playing WoW, but, um, uh, at least for the foreseeable future it will be a part of my life again so all right so gaming news you got any gaming news you'd like to share i do have gaming news so i thought it was quite interesting to find out that um some key call of duty overwatch and hearthstone esport leagues are now exclusively streamed on youtube which now do you have to pay for that um it doesn't it doesn't really say um, I, I doubt it, because uh, previously they yeah, would have been yeah. exclusively streamed on Twitch. So they're probably just okay, so, leaning yeah. on advertising revenue um, in order to, to, I don't know, dri- drive revenue. But um, right. some of them get like more than 9,000 um, viewers per live stream at one time, which is actually like loads if you think about it. Um, and... Uh, basically, YouTube and Activision Blizzard signed a deal with them, um, where Twitch previously had exclusivity for the first two seasons of the Overwatch League, and obviously everyone thinks of Twitch as the place to go for gaming, streaming, and esports and stuff. So obviously, YouTube is making a play for this. Like that's where they want to go next. That's where they want the eyes. So I think it'll be really interesting. Um, Plus, it does provide a very targeted audience for advertisers because they can make very relevant content. Kind of like, you know, Doritos or Monsters or something could sponsor a segment and stuff like that. And they kind of know that's their wheelhouse. That's sort of their key demographic. So they're not going to be wasting any eyes. It's not like TV where the TV could be on passively or like whatever, you know, a live stream and things like that people tend to be more engaged and chatting like on the live chat feature and things so they tend to be consuming the content so maybe that's why they're going for it but it is unusual because twitch you know really is the dominant player in the category yeah yeah they are um it's interesting that they're going to youtube but then you have a lot of a lot of streamers that are leaving YouTube and going to Mixer and so I don't know it's interesting how this is kind of unfolding but um I probably would be more likely to watch it on YouTube than I would Twitch just because I don't go to Twitch that much that could be an age thing so I mean I agree I don't Twitch. know um I have uh an in- just it's a it's a gaming slash media news thing that might spur a, a topic of its own but um I read an article today that talked about how uh we are in the era of fan influenced media that uh and and the the main example that they use is the new Sonic the Hedgehog uh, movie that's coming out, and you know that's at least adjacently well, related. Well, I mean, people caused a very you know, large to, user-generated change to that. 
Yes, like an overhaul. You know, I, who knows if they're going? Anybody's going to watch this movie? I probably will watch it. Um, but you know the 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 nightmare fuel that was Sonic's just Sonic and his teeth has been remedied and now looks more like you know they kind of took a page out of the uh, Detective Pikachu movie and made it look more like he's supposed to look just with real fur. I mean that's kind of how he looked in the in the game, which is great. So it's still a creepy. Um, Oh yeah, there's no doubt. It's it's definitely odd, but uh, it's it's gotten better and it's definitely palatable. Whereas before, it was like something's just not right about this. That's just wrong, you know. It's like a monster human hybrid thing. It was weird, and the teeth were just awful. And so now they fix it. But anyway, the point of it is 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 this good or has this affected? or as it bleeds over into other medias, I wonder how this is going to affect or if it's, you know, ultimately, you know, could be good or bad. You know, I mean, the fact that we have uh, we have people who are like we were just talking about the the unsilent majority or the unsilent minority, the the really loud portion of the of the fan base that good grease, man. They, I, that's true, but I mean, they've they've driven people off of social media, like actors and writers and directors and game designers. That some of them may have deserved it for you know whatever their conduct was, but many of these individuals, it's unwarranted, you know, hate and unwarranted un- negativity towards people who didn't don't necessarily deserve it, and and it's. And by unwarranted, I mean they're they're unfounded claims, or or they're just trying to change something for the sake of changing it. Like it's the whole outrage culture. And it's just really interesting and and a little bit tragic, sad, frustrating, maybe. Um, if, you know, for instance, uh, you know what happened to Star Wars, or you know, with this most recent movie, uh, the. Rise of Skywalker, um, the uh, the Ghostbusters remake reboot uh, with Kristen Wiig and and uh, and and now they're making a new a new Ghostbusters movie that's more of a an actual sequel, not an adjacent acknowledging but a completely different world it's it was just really weird anyway i'm just i'm wondering or maybe we can talk about it in in another topic about how you know the internet and social media has or is influencing uh you know our you know our medium the gaming in general you know the warcraft's a good example of it as well where they're you know the They'll get on the forums and they'll just bitch and moan about these game mechanics that were added. If they just, you know, and then it almost seems like for the sake of it, whereas they sometimes it's warranted, but the majority of the time it is not warranted. It's not necessary. They're just complaining almost for the sake of, you know, they, they're complaining. Somebody else hears them complain. Is it contagious? Is complaining contagious? Negativity sometimes contagious? It can be. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like it must be because otherwise it just it just doesn't make sense. So anyway, maybe we'll talk about that another time.
So, but that is, I, I didn't have any other gaming news at the time. It's a little slow in gaming uh, news, but, uh, but that brings us to our main topic today where we have discussed crunch uh, a couple times, I believe, and, and it's a big topic right now. Um, Cyberpunk, last time we discussed how Cyberpunk 2077 is, is going to be delayed uh, and that the the publisher the and the and the game designers are have acknowledged that crunch is going to be a part of the process you know that they're acknowledging it is necessary uh to you know to uh to complete this and and i i guess i wanted to i wanted to kind of combine that with another topic of game mechanics that maybe are unnecessary and and that could be removed so they could maybe relieve crunch and maybe even talk about how crunch to some extent is crunch just necessary no matter what we do nowadays is crunch just necessary not to the extent that it is being used and maybe a term another term needs to be uh i don't know invented created implemented here but what you know let's let's talk about some some uh let's talk about some mechanics that can be removed from gaming that might help that just mechanics or not even mechanics necessarily maybe also uh modes or you know things that can be removed from a game that might improve the crunch situation but then also talk about just crunch and its and its place in gaming so right well i think first you know i doubt that crunch has always been a thing in gaming and i feel like in general in the corporate world um there was a period where i felt like we were all moving towards better employment security and better workers rights but in recent years it does feel like we've taken some backslipping you know in this country at least there are calls for things like zero hour contracts to be abolished um you know which i think is the case but when i first moved to this country um if you had been working in a job for over one year you could qualify to take your case to an employment tribunal um if you were let go from the job and a couple years ago they changed that to two years now so if you are let's say made redundant um and you haven't worked there for two years even if it's a difference of a day you have no redress at all so even if it Mm. wasn't a valid redundancy even if they backfilled your position after getting rid of you which makes it an invalid redundancy you're literally not entitled to go to a tribunal um, and those are examples of um, things that were put in place to protect employees that are now being undone. Um, Zero-hour contracts basically means that you work for a company, but they're under no obligation to provide you with any hours whatsoever. Uh, but you also can't take other work. So it's, it's, you basically are on call. And, and the impact on it is, you know, people really struggle to budget and maintain their finances when they don't know how much money they're going to be making each week. Um, and right, in the European yeah. Union, we all have a, 
a set hour working week, you know, where you're not supposed to work. I think it's more than 38 hours per week. However, every single employee that comes on board, every employer makes you sign a waiver to waive away those rights. And you don't really have a choice because you won't get the job if you don't sign the waiver. So it's sort of like a pointless mm. limit on the hours that you can work. Um, and it, it's, of course, even work, worse if you work salary, obviously. Um, they don't care. Right. You know, the better, you know, better <laughs> employees obviously aren't trying to make you work 50 hours a week. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of respect for your out of hours time. You'll get emails all night long. You know, obviously, I recently worked with a company that doesn't isn't based in this country and their working days per week included Sunday. So, you know, on Sundays, it would just be an endless terrain of uh, emails, you know, coming through and things like that, which is an unfortunate side effect of a more globalized um, society. Right. So I don't feel like games used to be this way. I feel like crunch is something that has evolved out of uh, employers feeling like they're allowed to push the limits because they know that you don't really have any true redress. Um, in a very small market, as we've talked about several times, I used to work in casino gaming. It's a very, very small community. I still, having left that industry four years ago, I still know and am connected to a large number of the major players who have only become more senior and more pivotal in, in the industry as time goes on. But I also know several people who you know, were sort of disgraced or did something to cause them to lose their job that are essentially blackballed from the industry. Uh, and they're now working in completely different industries and they'll never get back in because it's too small of an industry. Everybody knows everybody to a certain extent, anybody who's anyone. Um, and so it's really hard when you show that you're not a quote unquote team player uh, to get back in. So I can understand the employee's fear of just not towing the line that they'll get blackballed and they won't be able to work in the industry that is very small probably i mean immeasurably smaller in these other places than london london is one of the largest cities on earth and if you can get blackballed in london right you can get blackballed anywhere so um right yeah i think that is the environment that creates crunch but there are definitely some game elements that are new within the last f five years, seven maybe at most, that are right. certainly adding to development time and probably making crunch necessary. And for me, the number yeah. one is monetization in AAA games. Yeah. I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. Gambling mechanics or uh, you know microtransactions, unnecessary microtransactions. The whole having a game or a, a microtransaction store. I, I can't imagine that there's not a whole section of the of the game development team that's dedicated solely to that portion of that that mechanic. Uh, there's just too much involved, in my opinion. That and again, this is my limited experience very limited but just in speaking to some people and then in playing games uh i use the division two as an example where it was to me the 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 store the storefront was was built into the ui so 
basically you couldn't have had everything else if that wasn't the store and the UI were were created at the same time. They were integrated immediately, and so it's such a major component to the game that half the game, half the game was the store to me. The rest of it was cut and paste, you know, cookie cutter type uh, shooter, uh, looter shooter type uh, um, environments. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't do an incredible job recreating Washington, D.C. They did, and it, it looked great, but I mean... That's something that we're going to get to, in my opinion, of something that's that adds to development time that's unnecessary. You created this world, but who gives a shit? Nobody wants to live in it. Nobody wants to be in it. You know, uh, it can be as pretty as as it is, but uh, game or a mechanic or or part of the development cycle that I think again can could be way the pros and cons is is maximizing uh, your you're maximizing graphics for a given generation, like having the absolute best visually uh, appealing game at the expense of everything else that you could choose to go cell shaded or you could choose. You can make really good games that don't have to have the best visuals, the best, um, the, the most realistic grass, the most realistic uh, strands of hair, uh, blowing in the wind, um, you know, the, you know, have something that's really fun and make it like Borderlands and have Borderlands three and their and the, and bo- all of their games are more cell shaded and it's not realistic, but it's witty dialogue. It's a world people want to go back and revisit for hours and hours. And, and so, um, you know, I think the graphics, um, just trying to push the envelope in some of, on some of these systems just for the sake of having the best looking game at the expense of having it's all all uh what's the what's the quote it's no substance and all all uh all style no, no substance yeah, all st- hey, there you go. No all style, no, no substance. I'm a content writer after all. Uh, <laughs> That's <laughs> no, right, so exactly. I think building on that, another thing that I would say is having spending development time to build in game mechanics that purposefully or incidentally, not purposely, they incidentally detract from how beautiful the game is. Here's a great example. So The Witcher 3 is probably one of the better games for this and I'll put it in comparison versus Red Dead Redemption 2 so Red Dead Redemption 2 all singing all dancing horse pooping who knows what else like I didn't play much of it (laughs) but the number one thing you did have to brush your horse that I find frustrating is that you don't have time to look at the scenery because you are worried about getting to your destination I don't remember any of the scenery because I was looking at my horse's butt the whole time, trying to make sure I'm going (laughs) in a straight bloody line. Now, The Witcher 3 is a different and slightly better example of this where when the horse is on a road, 
it'll continue on this road. However, it does not follow the damn wayfinder. So you still have to put it on the right fork when there's a fork in the road and everything. So it's not much better. The only thing you can hope for is maybe a straight road of uninterrupted something or something for at least a couple minutes for you to be able to look around somewhere other than your horse's bum. Now, what I would want to see <laughs> is forget all this. Just once you put the wayfinder on, once you select your destination, your horse will automatically follow all roads required to get you to that destination. So you can just bloody look around sometimes. Because I really find it frustrating and irritating that you can't just look around. They made such a beautiful world, so staggering, the scenery, and sometimes they pan you out and let you see it as part of the story. But I want to do that all the time. And it's like, if you're going to build it, why not let us see it? Th those are the sort of gameplay mechanics that actually take away from a Nundler, I'm assuming, fundamental part of the development team. Uh, is, is by not actually right having... Um, the horse follow a wayfinder path on its own. Same thing with the character. Like, if you were just running and you put the wayfinder on, like you manually selected it, why can't the character just run to it? You know, let you look around. You know, if something happens, you can stop and deal with it, bandits or whatever, but like, surely just let you walk around and look at stuff. Like, there's some, there's too much control where actually it's taking away from the whole environment and setting uh so i agree with your point um that they make these really big complex beautiful worlds and maybe that isn't necessary and if they're not going to let you enjoy them that seems even more unnecessary to me i don't know about you uh the third thing that i would bring up uh is that there is such a desire now and people are so spoiled by very swift post-release dlc that they definitely have whole teams probably during crunch to develop additional expansion content ready within days of the original game being released and that is likely because of a marketing principle well an economic principle of you know supply meeting demand so once you finish a game you're fully immersed in the world you're obsessed with it uh you think about it all the time and once you finish the game that sense of loss and wanting to get back into it and continue the story i don't know about you but it always has me searching for immediate dlc content immediate expansion like if you look at my google search history after i've finished playing a game like the outer worlds or the witcher or whatever i'm like is there more expansions is there more expansions and companies cannot economically afford not to meet that demand so i guarantee you they have teams working during the crunch time uh, in order to build and create DLC before the game is even launched because they know that they have a very limited finite window of time to get that supply out to meet the inevitable demand created by the feeling of loss at finishing a story and, and not being able to see more of, of what's going on in the world. So I think in addition to the uh 
demands of the new gaming economy, microtransactions, gambling mechanics, all that sort of stuff that they added into games that never existed before. Um, the demand to push the consoles to their maximum to validate people's purchases of pro consoles and things like that. Uh, and the demands of realism, sometimes damaging and being counterproductive to those games uh, that look so pretty. Uh, there's also a demand for aftermarket content that is pushing the entire crunch mechanic to its limit. Well, it, to me, it just, from what you said, it's, it seems like you understand now why they, I'm not saying it's right, but I understand now why they may cut things from a game so that they can release it later or, or, or ship out a game that's partially done only to add things later. You know, the problem is, is that it's someone like me is probably in the minority of buying a game like The Witcher 3 and still playing it to this day because I hadn't finished it before, whereas other individuals are like spending all the time to finish it as fast as possible for whatever reason. Then when they don't have anything else, and this is the same problem in Warcraft, is people just rushing through all the content. I don't know how they enjoy it, but they're rushing through all the content to be the first to be done. And then now what? You know, what are you doing for me now? And it's like, I, you know, I... I don't know how to I don't know how to necessarily fix that problem but it does seem like that is what is driving the way it's it, it's the game companies are not necessarily... I don't know that they're completely 100% at fault for all of this. I think that the community is a, is a is partly to blame for this as well. I mean if that's if that's what's driving it what you just said in terms of um you know, losing that sale, if I'm not ready to to give them DLC immediately uh, and they're losing that sale uh, right there, then then part of their focus has to be on creating DLC. That may not be financially viable. You know, it may not be financially viable to have a team dedicated to that and not have everybody on the game, you know. Uh, and so you may just lose that sale or... You have to cut that from the game and just make the game as good as it is on its own. Um, you know, the last uh, mechanic that that I or the last game uh, unnecessary, uh, you know, game mechanic uh, or or uh, I don't know, just tacked on element that seems to affect development time for me. And again, I wanted to touch on uh, Crunch with this as well. Is is uh, is the multiplayer mode in games that don't necessarily need it? Just having a multiplayer mode for the sake of having a multiplayer mode, creating almost an entirely new game experience just to. And I, I use Mass Effect for this as an example. Oh yeah, that's this. the and, most yeah. egregious example of an attacked on multiplayer for no reason. For no reason, you know, and and uh, and I think that they kind of learned their lesson to a certain extent, but I never felt the need or the desire. Gears of War has a great horde mode and a great uh, multiplayer mode that I thought was was fun. I actually enjoyed playing Gears of War multiplayer, even though I wasn't great at it. I was better at that than I was at Call of Duty. You know, I, it, it was it's a completely different type of multiplayer, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the smaller maps, the smaller squads. I enjoyed the horde mode. Um, all of that was a lot of fun. 
but adding just tacking on some version of multiplayer or creating a multiplayer game that has no substance and and I know that <laughs> I know that you enjoyed uh oh now I can't even remember the name of the game what's what's your favorite game right now right now that bioware made I'm just oh. joking but that bio <laughs> I, I don't know what you mean. The Outer Worlds one that I think is, is the best. Yeah, but what was the multiplayer game that you enjoyed that most people didn't? Oh, um... I can't, I, uh, I can't. Uh, yeah, now a, I can't remember it. Something? What is it? A? I, I thought it was... A? a? Start Why with can't an A? remember what this the, game? What the crap? <laughs> Jem Sterling makes fun of it all the time. Why is it not coming to mind? I keep wanting to say Arena, but no. it's not Arena. Um, no. Ark? No. What the Arc. crap? Elysium, no. Let us know in the comments. You so know what I'm talking about. Know. The one Jim Sterling says has no yeah. content. And we've, yes, I've, I've said yeah. I disagree. God bless America. We're going to have to find out. This is just unexpected. Anthem. There we go. I got it. There we go. <laughs> Anthem. Thank you. Anthem. So Anthem's an example of, you know, one of these games that, again, I think you can enjoy, but, again, I didn't play it, so I don't know. I, I can't speak on it, but I know that the buzz was that it was just not a complete game. It it was it was pretty, but there was nothing to do in the world, and it was repetitive, and you know, writing was not uh, up to par to uh, Bioware standards in the past. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I still enjoyed it because it was mindless fun for me, but it definitely is the right. most repetitive team that has ever existed, and an example of crunch gone wrong. Absolutely, and but and but I guess. Uh, the, the, to me, the take-home is, at the end of the day, some of these games have modes and have uh, graphic needs and, and hardware needs that require a significant amount of, of, of work on the front end. That All of the things that we want in these games take money and time. There are two th two things really wrong, I think, with overall, with the, with the way all of this is handled, is... There may not be enough money uh, to to fund games, f you know that that take an excessive or, or an, an exceptionally long development period. You know, four, five, six years for some of these games to to work or to develop, where you've got no product but you're just spending money, right? So you're just spending money to develop these games, and you've got these smaller teams, and you're and you're at the end of it. You know, you that's it. You know, you just you ship your game and you're shipping your game hoping that it sells. And if it doesn't sell, then you're like, OK, well, now we have to let some of these people go or we just have to shut down because we've just spent six years investing in this game um, that we had to get out. And we have this really small team. So how are we going to get out, get it out in time? You know, if we're working these, you know, very, you know, very regimented, rigid uh, work schedules. Um to your point about it never being a thing or not necessarily being a thing, I wonder if it if it actually has to some extent been a thing, just not to the extent that it is now. And the reason I say that is, have you ever have you ever watched the eight bit cartoon Code Monkeys? No. Did you ever watch that show? Okay, Code Monkeys was really funny. I thought it was anyway. It was a good show. It came on. Um, it came on the same channel that had X Play. Uh, back in the days, you know, it was like 10, 12 years ago, X-Play was actually a thing. Uh, it was a gaming show that had Adam Sessler and, and uh, Morgan Webb, and they were the hosts. And, and uh, anyway, it was a really good show. 
Code Monkeys came on after it, and and uh, Code Monkeys was actually on Netflix for a while too. It's about these this these two characters that are code coder code writers for video games, and they call them Code Monkeys because that was like the kind of a derogatory term for code writers yeah. in gaming back in the eighties. Uh, where you're basically just sitting in a room and you're writing code like the whole time. That's all you're doing is writing code, and and so you kind of go crazy. And these, these, it was like the inside. It was like being inside the room, the writers' room, for a, a bunch of code writers, and what all happened behind the scenes, and just the craziness of game pitches and how you know the disconnect between people who, because the guy who owns their game company is like this caricature of like an oil tycoon from texas he's got like a cowboy hat and he's crazy and he's spend money on anything uh and the main code writer is is like this degenerate that that is i think he smokes pot all the time and he uh you know just comes up with the most ridiculous game premises and is lazy and so he works like the least amount possible and then his and then the, his buddy, uh, who's kind of room, who kind of works with him in the cubicle with him, uh, is this straight laced, can't do anything wrong, always by the book uh, guy. And so you have these two characters who are completely different, juxtaposed. Anyway, it's it's really funny, but it illustrated kind of some of this crunch from even way back then, where they were working day and night, day and night, day and night, trying to get these games out, writing this code for these games. Um. And, and that was just a part of it. And maybe it's a combination of we got to figure out a better way to do this. But also in other professions, are there times when you're going to be asked or when it's necessary? You're not even asked. It's like, well, this is the deadline. We've got to get this out by here. You're going to pull late nights and or whatever you got to do to get it out. I don't know what the answer is. I just know that there are versions of crunch in many, if not most, other professions where um, you're putting out products, whether it's an article, whether it's a video game or a movie or, or whatever it may be. It's not all the time, but there are cycles where crunch or whatever you want to call it happens. And I don't know what the remedy is. I just know that it, I think there's a version of it and it's not exclusive to gaming, you know? Yeah, no, I think that... I think that crunch is caused by a combination of irreversible factors or factors that will only be reversed with regulation. So, you know, if they right. heavily regulate or eliminate micro uh, economies and games and, you know, uh, incremental spend and things like that, if they were to eliminate that, then that eliminates part of that workflow. But um, they could do that through regulation. They could say, right, we're not going to allow this anymore. Like, it's not a viable way to, uh, to sell games or, or make money. That's possible. But uh, other things that I think are never going to stop, um, you know, in order to sell a new console, you have to push the graphical and, and uh, the graphical and performance limits of the console. So that's going to take more and more time to create more and more complex and detailed visual imagery and effects. Um, because otherwise, right. why do you need an 8K TV and a brand new Xbox Series X and these sort of things? 
you know they can't sell that stuff without it and they're never going to stop producing dlc because uh humanity at least in the western world has now been conditioned to expect instant gratification in all forms of media you know, I don't really watch any shows where I have to wait a week for the content. You know, I watch Netflix series where the entire season is out at one time. And I don't even like that. What I would like in my right. dream scenario is that shows produce a season that comes out every other day. Like, that's right. really what you need to keep up with the speed of consumption and people's desire for the media. And that's where it will go. They will produce just enough content for you to be able to consume, to have the next bit of content equally ready and waiting within your time span of attention. Because other right. than that, they're losing your attention. And remember, we did that right. whole episode on the value of attention and the attention economy. So yeah. games cannot afford to have even a, a minute's delay between you finishing the game and you wanting to spend more money with them. And that's only going to get worse. Right now, they've got it to where you've got like monthly season passes and things like that. It, it will become a daily thing where there will be new content every day that you can experience that's fresh every single day. Because they can't afford to go backward. People are, you know, right. someone will be able to achieve that. Probably the likes of Google and, and the people coming out with streaming consoles and things, uh, you know, the, those people in the future, and, and this is obviously a topic that I want to talk about for predicting trends in 2020 and beyond, but the attention economy is so valuable and there are so many screens competing for your time and attention and you spend money on them that if a game maker can produce fresh content that takes up your entire available free time, they've cracked it. Same thing with yeah. Netflix, same things with anything else. You know, back 20 years ago, people had one, maybe two shows that they watched religiously, and that took up all of your time. I mean, I remember my dad getting home from work maybe about like 6 o'clock, he would have dinner, and then he would take his, like, TV tray, set it in front of the television with a box of Oreos and a glass of milk. They're like, this is my history here, so enjoy the nostalgia. <laughs> we had a 13-inch black and white television. I was very young at the time. Um, yes. And it with the rabbit ears with the bit of foil on the end, because class, class, class. Nice. And there was only, like, three or four channels, and he would watch the news he would usually watch like I Love Lucy or maybe um, what's that Lawrence Welk that like singing program that was on at the time. Right. Uh, and then I'm not sure which yeah, one. But yeah. And then he would probably watch one or two like regularly scheduled weekly programs whatever they were now at that point i'd be sent to bed because by the time he finished the news and he finished watching i love lucy or lawrence welk it was 9 p.m and it was bedtime so um you know right i don't know for certain what shows he, they were that he regularly watched at that time but other than you know he was in bed by 10 o'clock so it was probably only one show per evening that he would watch maybe he'd watch a vhs or whatever but now you know, I personally am following probably about six to ten active television shows, and I put 
old shows to bed on a regular basis, you know, where I will have, you know, it's now canceled and I've mainlined, you know, yesterday, no, day before yesterday, I mainlined eight episodes in a row of Vikings and I'm now caught up with the whole season <laughs> and I think there's two episodes right. to go to the end of the series. So yeah, I've got to wait two weeks for that to resolve itself and I thought I had waited long enough that the whole thing had come out, but no, uh, yeah. I've got I've got two weeks left to go. But in reverse, the only show that I'm watching when it comes out at the moment that's currently live is uh, Picard and The Good Place. Those are the only ones that I'm regularly tuning in to watch each week when they come out. And I'm still frustrated that that's the mechanic because I know it's not necessary for them to do that. They could release the whole thing at once. They're just being obnoxious. (laughs) <laughs> and it'll only get worse. That's why I'm saying it will only get worse. Because what happens when I, you know, I logged in, I watched Picard. They had nothing else but Vikings for me to watch. I watched all of that. Now I'm done. Guess what I did with the rest of the day? I watched YouTube. Endless stream of brand new, fresh content at on my demand. Right. Right. And the only downside to YouTube is the quality is not there. And it kind of gets repetitive once you've watched a lot of, a lot of things. Right, and or, or finding new things. Sometimes it's uh, hit or miss. Uh, mo- many times it is, but and and some some of that content is shaping the way in our attention economy or our attention in general because a lot of those ten twelve minute sweet spot videos that's that's it, and then you got to find the next ten twelve minute sweet spot video, which is even shorter than the twenty two minute episode format which is even shorter than the movie or the hour long you know and so it's like (laughs) man i mean it's 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 incredibly complicated i know that they more or less have the statistics to know what they're doing that's why you know matt pat will come out with a video talking about you know the length videos being too long and i'm like no that video why is why are you saying the video is too long i understand what they're getting at uh, but it's it's kind of like it's kind of frustrating to me that that is the way that it is. I liked the way that they did the Mandalorian to a certain extent. Make people wait. I know that they had probably all of it done, but that gives you something to look forward to. It allow it gives you a week for you to pick apart the details and and to really dig into. It, it changes the way that you that you program. And create those shows, though, because now you know you've got Easter egg hunters that are in there looking for everything. But I and, would like and to and know these... how many people did what I did and waited for the whole thing to come out and watched it in a day. Oh, I'm sure that there there are a number. I, d- I don't have the time to do that. So, like, being able to look forward to that as, like, my Friday night thing, I don't have the discipline to not do that. Like, Peaky Blinders, I... I think I had I had a weekend and I watched four seasons of it over the weekend because I <laughs> it's had, a good show because See, I that had the one, time. When it's in season, I do watch that each week when the new one comes out. There's a couple of shows that yeah. like American Gods. I watch that each week when it comes out, but I am annoyed that Amazon Prime forces me to do that. You know, like I am annoyed yeah. by yeah. that format. Just put it all out. Stop. But that's the thing is that. I believe the price, the literal price of all of this is going to be price. I don't think that games can continue to be $60. I don't think it's possible. We don't, we want it. We want more for that $60 than is possible to achieve within the bounds of the employment laws of our respective countries. (laughs) 
Right. I think a hundred dollars American dollars is is for a lot of these big AAA titles. I think is worth it. I think these the the ones that and we can, I think we've talked about this in the past, but I think we could, it'd be worth revisiting. You know, games like the uh, Call of Duty. If you're not changing up the entire formula, Madden, those games, thirty dollars and an update or something. But the Witcher's a hundred dollar game, easy. The or the Witcher three, that's a hundred dollar game, easy. Um, and and that's including maybe some of the DLC, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's one hundred fifteen dollars, and you get all the DLC. Yeah, eventually, and I think Netflix you know. needs to. Vic, I think what Netflix needs to do is they need to. Uh, Increase the price, but include like ride sharing options like Uber has. You know what I mean? Because so many people <laughs> share their like code, but I would happily contribute three dollars to my friend's Netflix plan that she kindly lets me use. You know what I mean? It's just it's not very feasible to right. do like send her three pounds every month. It's kind of like Meh. so. I think I right. think all of these streaming services need to get more expensive because what we are continuing to demand of them requires more funding than I think they actually currently get. And I think right. that they they will in the future put out entire brand new series every single day. They will have to do that because it's, it's too diverse. There's too many options available and people demand instant gratification. If you can get your groceries delivered in an hour, then why can't I have a new TV show every day? Do you know what I mean? Man, and but and then in the end, and bringing it full circle, which I don't know that we have the answer to this, but then the instant gratification is the is the that's the deal of the day. How do we? How do they pay for it? It'll just have to and get more get expensive. That's why. Yeah, and and so so increasing the price of it is is ultimately that's probably the biggest contributing factor that will make it to where. You can take more time to get the stuff out, but then get it all out there, you know, so. And that will enable people but, to get paid fairly for their work, to be able to be paid over time. Like, crunch is also our problem and our responsibility. We created it because we're not willing to pay more than $60, too. but we want right, this stuff. Right. And they've, in order to enable them to keep the price of the game initially low, they've created a whole other problem for themselves with microtransactions and, and things like that. Right. So I think, you know, this may be the first time in show's history where we may diverge from uh, Jim Sterling on a on a topic <laughs> where we I think we we both agree that games should probably cost more. And I think that that will be the major contributing factor to helping, you know, alleviate this issue of crunch. Not it's just one thing. There are other things as well, but that's yeah, definitely and one, they need but. to put in employment um, protections for these people because right. I understand the financial benefit of clearing the overheads immediately on release. And if I was running the company, it would make prudent sense for me to sack every single person that isn't working on DLC so that my overheads are as small as possible the second that the day launched. Sure. And I get it. It makes sense. It makes sense. It just sucks. It's, we shouldn't it's not do right. it and it, it shouldn't be allowed, sense. but I understand why it happens because it it's, not, it's not prohibited. Right. Well, well, that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel Gamecast. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. We will definitely revisit revisit uh, some of these topics uh, that we brought up today. But all these notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. 
If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released. And rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.